Welcome to the Essential Dynamics podcast. I'm your host, Derek Hudson. Uh, Essential Dynamics is a framework that I've been developing that helps us think through tricky situations. And in the podcast, we test the concepts of Essential Dynamics through deep conversations with interesting people. In season three, we're focusing on helping leaders of organizations get clear on their challenges and their opportunities to help them with their organization's quest. And today, I'm really excited to welcome Domenico Lapore to the podcast. Domenico is a systems thinker. He's an author. Uh, he's an advisor to clients all over the world. And he's written several books and developed management methodologies to support his clients and his work. Uh, there's a lot that he can uh, share with us today. So, Domenico, first of all, welcome and thanks for joining. Thank you, Derek. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, what else should our listeners know about you before we start our conversation? <laughs> well, as this podcast is probably be listened to by uh, many Canadians, uh, let me say that since 2018, I'm also a, a proud Canadian. Uh, you know, I was born and I grew up in Italy. I developed myself professionally there. But then about 20 years ago, I started to travel for work extensively to North America. And since uh, 2010, I've lived in Canada. And since 2018, I'm a new Canadian. So I'm happy to say to our listener that I'm a, a proud Canadian, even if from the accent you might not detect it, but, you know, I'm Canadian. Well, well, that's one of the things about being Canadian is that there are many accents and some people have been here for thousands of years and some people have been here or their, their people, <laughs> their people have been here for a few weeks. Uh, one of the things we say in Edmonton is uh, five minutes and you're one of us. So uh, love, love, love having you here. So, uh, Dominico, I've read some of your material. Uh, we've had some conversations. I, I really like the way you think. And one of the things that uh, that I would really like to talk about today is how organizations get stuck and then how to help them get unstuck. Uh, is that, you know, I think there's sometimes there's a natural growth that happens, but then things change and organizations if they keep doing the same things, they're going to get the same results. Right. They're not happy with that, but they don't know how to move on. Mm -hmm. What are your, what are your thoughts? <laughs> oh my. Yeah. This, uh, and we only, to... we only have 25 minutes. And we so... only have 25 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Um, okay. Let me say something as you throw this curveball. Let me, let me try and hit it. Um, people build their own prison, their own cognitive prison out of language. So um, what prevents us from uh, seeing avenues and perceive a broader uh, set of cause and effect relationship that might help in seeing avenues, it's uh, severely limited by the way we speak. And the way we speak is obviously the consequence of the way we think and the way we uh, look at reality and derive uh, through cause and effect reasoning and understanding of our world. Um, language is a trap. It's extremely powerful, but it can be extremely dangerous. So, um, so I would say that after almost 30 years of work, I, I come to the conclusion that, that the, the, the first and foremost reason for people getting stuck is because they get trapped in, um, uh, linguistic and cognitive loops that they cannot escape from. Um, However, another important aspect of it is um, uh, sheer ignorance 
um, management schools and universities in general have done a very, very poor job in uh, educating uh, managers and leaders to the fundamentals of what it means to be competitive. And uh, cost accounting is single-handedly responsible for a huge chunk of the mistakes that company make and prevent the growth. Uh, clearly, the whole financial system uh, is geared to listen to Wall Street instead of Main Street. And so over the decades, especially in the last 30 years, there has been a huge divide between what is realistically possible uh, and what instead um, banks, financial institutions, accounting methods allow us allow us to see. So it's a, it's a good combination of uh, wrong conversations and sheer ignorance, uh, both of which can be addressed. Uh, wow, there's, there's so much there. So I want to go back. I don't, I don't want to miss anything. Uh, but I want to go back to, you said cognitive prisons, and then you also yeah. said trap. Linguistic traps, yes. Linguistic traps. And um, I think what I'm picking up there is when we say a word, uh, we think we know what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, but often our usage is narrower than the word could possibly mean. Right. Uh, and so then we say the words and we think that's the way to express the thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, to use my language, we've actually constrained ourselves and we're thinking far more narrowly than we need to. Right. Yes, yes. Uh, 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 that's exactly right. And when you start stringing together, uh, words in uh, sentences, and so you create reality through uh, this this language. Um, the way you construct and the way you uh, act, uh, sorry, and the way you um, uh, build these speech acts um, creates um, uh, the, the 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 cognitive environment that becomes, uh, if not challenged, uh, the prison. So, in other words, it's not just the um, uh, grammat- grammatical, syntactical uh, structure, but it's also the semantics that goes with words that when uh, strung together, create images and create cause and effect relationships which do not hold true. And um, if we are at the helm of an organization and this organization um, is built uh, hierarchically where people are reluctant in a sort of command and control vertical way, and um, people um, are reluctant to challenge um, images, mental models created by this language, then uh, the path, the, the neural pathway in the brain becomes uh, more and more entrenched and become more and more difficult uh, to challenge. See, you mentioned cause and effect. Right. And if, if I was to describe what I think I've learned about your work, uh, it's that you believe that we should understand the reality of uh, the cause and effect in a Mm -hmm. system. And um, your thesis might be that because of language and ignorance, uh, sometimes we assume that if you do a thing, you will get an effect when there is no basis for that. Right. Cause and effect, uh, um, uh, you know, was originated as a, as a study, um, you know, philosophically 2,500 years ago in Greece and in more modern times by science that uh, has brought to life uh, in a spectacular way uh, cause and effect reasoning. But cause and effect is not a linear thing. 
the, the network of cause and effect relationship creates a field of forces. And this field of forces is what uh, determines um, uh, the way we perceive reality, what we perceive, what we think is reality. So learning how to think cause and effect is exactly the opposite of falling prey of the natural tendency that humans have uh, to see linearity where linearity doesn't exist. So um, we are witnessing today, just to give a very, very uh, simple example, um, you know, the government of Canada, uh, the, the Central Bank of Canada has, uh, is begging entrepreneurs not to build um, expectations of inflation into the salaries that um, so in other words we are experiencing inflation today and uh, the natural reaction is let's raise salaries because you know inflation comes so salaries has to be raised if we keep uh, going on to the spiral we will create a, a mental model an image of the fact that um, uh, we will expecting inflation to raise and uh, if we do that, uh, we will trigger uh, a, 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 cause, a, a series of negative cause and effect relationship that will make very difficult uh, to rein in uh, this moderate, uh, modest amount of inflation that we're experiencing today. So this is a simple example, but in real life, uh, you know, in the life of every day, we are uh, entirely surrounded by uh, these mental models. So, so we're in complex systems where you can't isolate the variable and say, if I push this button, this will happen. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also have these feedback loops mm -hmm. so that the effect then creates the cause again. Mm -hmm. And so then you get a spiral, either positive or negative. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, your position then is you can't think linearly, so you have to think a different way. Yeah. That's and right. how would you describe how people need to learn to think? Yeah. Um, um, uh, you know, in previous conversations that we had, Derek, you know that uh, I had the great, good, great fortune um, to meet uh, uh, early in my life, uh, uh, the work of um, Dr. Goldratt, uh, who is the originator of uh, the theory of constraints, a body of knowledge that he began to develop first from a mathematical standpoint, and then more of a methodological one uh, from late 70s, early 80s. The enormous success that he had in the 80s with books like The Goal uh, or The Race, um, The Haystack Syndrome, uh, What is this thing called Theory of Constraints, uh, Essays on Theory of Constraints. The great success that he had with these books and implementation at the time, mainly in industrial environment, uh, um, solidifying him the fact that um, the issue was not, um, uh, you know, the, the the rational understanding of why production should be run in a certain way, why logistics should be arranged in a certain way, uh, uh, but the fact that um, it was not um, uh, the, the rational aspect of managing something as mundane as operation. Um, was not tackled at the most fundamental level uh, that uh, human beings operate under, which is uh, a, um, a cognitive level, uh, 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 at a subliminal level. So uh, he decided to uh, reformulate entirely his body of knowledge called theory of constraints 
through a different language using um, um, an approach that he called uh, uh, thinking processes that support the um, uh, you know our ability to articulate our reasoning okay and um, um, there has been uh, since uh, 93 94 when the first book came out called uh, it's not luck um, there has been a, a, a gigantic amount of confusion on what these thinking processes are in uh, a lot of literature non written by Goldratt these are labeled as logical tools um, and uh, as logical tools can be used uh, uh, in contexts where logic has to prevail. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the, for, uh, for the majority of people that have been following that path, uh, the, the, um, the thinking processes of TOC are just a, um, a gigantic monumental linguistic framework uh, to allow people to uh, garner uh, the, uh, the strength of their emotion and channel them uh, in a way that can be used. Uh, they are the vessel that allow our emotion uh, to uh, generate results. This is because it was evident to Goldratt that it wasn't the, the, the constraint, so to speak, uh, was not uh, rational thinking because anybody can understand that in order to accelerate the flow, you have to squeeze the, the tube. Yeah. Uh, but um, but the problem was uh, how deep how deeply entrenched certain models of managing are, and so how deep um, uh, the changes uh, that need to take place have to go. And um, and in order to do that, he shied away from uh, uh, psychoanalytical traps, and he embraced a, a very solid epistemological uh, linguistic framework that enables everybody who's willing to tap into uh, the ability to, um, um, uh, I, you know, to, to intuit, to, to generate intuition, uh, and the ability to create a full analysis of what the intuition provides, and uh, with an ability to uh, string together a action plan that can affect the change. So uh, while the thinking processes my look on the surface, something logical in the mathematical sense, uh, in reality, they serve the purpose of, of allowing the, the biggest strength that we humans have, which are emotions, to be channeled in a way that can be useful. So if I recall, um, Goldratt said, well, we're going to start with emotion because if you don't care about something, you're not going to put the effort in <laughs> to make it better. Yeah. And once we have emotion about something, once we care about something, right. the next step is actually intuition. That's right. Emotion is motion can be a powerful trigger for intuition. Absolutely. Yes, it can be. Yes. But then he goes beyond that. And, and, and that's, this is good for me because I tend to uh, be more intuitive. Uh, but then there's the rigor of applying the logic to the intuition and saying, well, if you think this is how you're going to solve this problem, let's look at the cause and effect and see if we can actually make it happen that way. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. And in fact, for a very um, simple, straightforward application, what he called the proven solution, you don't even need to tap that deep uh, into uh, your emotions because if you want to manage a, a production flow or if you want to accelerate uh, um, a new product development 
or if you want to organize a better supply chain, there are ready-made algorithms that you can use. But if you really uh, want to break through and you want to sustain your growth, you need to be able to generate uh, almost on a daily basis uh, mini breakthroughs that enable you to overcome hurdles that if not addressed, become the prison that I was telling you before. And in order to do that, you need to embrace a way of thinking where you can connect all your emotions in a way, linguistically, in a way that allows, paves the way for you to generate a breakthrough uh, solution, which frankly is something that can be done uh, on a regular basis. I mean, this has been uh, not just my experience, I believed in that, uh, but uh, it, well, it has been my experience uh, over the last 30 years, almost 30 years. So you can, whatever the context is, you can take a cognitive snapshot of what keeps people blocked and surface very quickly uh, the mental models that keep um, the, the person or the company or whatever situation in the situation of blockage. Uh, all you need is uh, people who are open-minded to discuss their issues. And normally that happens when the pain is too strong. So successful company, very few successful company um, accept uh, the idea of challenging what they do. But um, the vast majority of the companies are not successful uh, and uh, they're not successful because they hit roadblocks that they don't know how to overcome. And uh, even the successful companies, they're not going to be very successful if they don't do uh, a sort of maintenance uh, to the way they think. Because obsolescence, as Dr. Deming used to say, uh, um, doesn't require any maintenance. That's right. That's right. If if uh, if you're successful today, the world will change, and uh, you'll become irrelevant if you don't adapt. And so, adapting requires yeah. getting stuck and then creating a new mental model. Yeah. So, right. so um, you write about this and you speak about it. You also advise clients directly. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And uh, so, how do you help? Uh, uh, leaders become unstuck. Mm. Um, I presume it's through some kind of conversation like this, but yeah. How, yeah. how does it work for you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you said it right. I mean, we, um, as a, a small consulting firm, um, we have produced uh, a number of uh, publications internationally uh, that is uh, uh, you know, unheard of for, um, uh, you know, companies as, as small as we are. Um, and the reason why we did that, it's because A, at the very core, uh, we are scientists, uh, but also because uh, we enjoyed tremendously the feedback that would come from trying to implement, try to convey ideas that people would struggle uh, um, to cope with. Um, so uh, over the years, instead of focusing on the, the technicalities of uh, theory of constraints or the technicalities of uh, implementing a system of uh, a statistical process control, which are incredibly interesting, but um, you know confined to the realm of how to make things work, um, we focused on uh, uh, teaching people to think on how they think. And, um, and that was, um, uh, that led us to develop a wealth of knowledge on how uh, the thinking processes of TOC 
uh, can be used in immediate circumstances. Um, you were mentioning the work that we do with enterprises. I would say that 80% of the work that I've done over the last 30 years has been with companies of smaller dimension from 20 to 200, just to shoot a number. Sure, um, sure. And so um, uh, we've only dealt, and we have exclusively dealt with decision makers, the owner manager, the, the, the managing director, the CEO, whatever you want to call it, and the, the core nucleus of decision makers. Uh, this has enabled us to understand um, more and more the thinking pattern uh, of people that are at the helm of an organization and they need to take decisions. So we were able to dissect very clearly uh, a very precise uh, uh, mental trajectories and identify very quickly the elements of ignorance, quote unquote, that needed to be filled. And we came up with uh, um, a template, which we have uh, uh, published repeatedly, uh, and that we talk about almost on a daily basis on our blogs, um, a pattern that any organization can follow. And the pattern, just to answer to be a little bit pragmatic about your question, it's always the same. First, identify what the jargon of TOC calls the core conflict of an organization, uh, surface the prevailing mental models that keep us stuck, and then develop conceptual solutions which later can become operational plans via project. And as a result of this work day in, day out, we also came up with uh, something that we're very proud of, a generic solution uh, for organizational design that can help uh, um, any organization to scale up as quickly as they can um, uh, without incurring into the predicaments of a conventional hierarchy. Wow, uh, Domenico, there's a there's a lot there. Um, so that that uh, organizational model is based on projects, right. is that right? Exactly. And, and, and that network of projects. Yes. And uh, I've I've had a, a lot of experience in organizations that know they operate as projects. Like I worked for a big consulting firm. I worked for an engineering firm. Um, but I've also seen that most organizations, uh, really function with a series of projects, but they don't manage projects or manage the network of projects and they draw org charts and expect that somehow that's going to make the difference. Right. But the work get, the work happens across the org chart because that's the way it goes. Um, if I could maybe ask, uh, for a specific example or maybe a composite example, You've got a leader that's stuck. You start working with them. Mm-hmm. You identify the core conflict, mm-hmm. examine the assumptions, and then all of a sudden it's a new world. Right. Do you have an example of that or or one that you could uh, how many, share? How many do you need? I mean, we, we uh, basically all our work has been based on that. Uh-huh. Actually, we have derived a completely generic solution. When uh, Mr. Cohen and I, Mr. Cohen or that Cohen has been... Uh, uh, the longest serving member uh, of the Goldratt schools and the Goldratt Institute since the late 70s. He was actually the first person in 79 that Dr. Goldratt hired in his newly formed company. So that's that fantastic. Been, uh, yeah, that's yeah. Been, uh, uh, my older brother, my, my mentor, my friend, my personal rabbi. Um, uh, and I owe him uh, almost everything that I am professionally. Um, 
um, we dotted, uh, we developed um, in mid 90s, and we published it in late 90s after four years of collaborative work, a book called the Decalogue. Um, the Decalogue is, uh, as the word implies, uh, uh, 10 systemic steps to build sustainability into an organization. And, um, and, uh, and obviously, like everybody else, uh, we started with the solution <clears throat> without uh, uh, building the, the problem to which uh, our Decalogue was the solution right. of. That came later. And um, so um, uh, what we do is um, once the core conflict has been uh, has been uh, uh, identified and the core assumptions uh, have been raised, uh, we show how whatever is the set of injections, uh, it looks like magic, but it's reality, whatever is the set of assumptions that they have, there are uh, five uh, fundamental injections, five fundamental solutions to make these mental models go away. Uh, obviously, it's not straightforward, it's not simple, it requires a, a pattern of change that lasts several months, in some cases a year, and in some cases even two years, but it's uh, the only way to sustain um, the transition from uh, the, the present situation of being stuck into a situation of um, um, unstuck so unstuck sure unstuck. Uh, and these uh, these fundamental uh, solution these fundamental the, the lingo again i apologize there are a couple of words in toc you just can't avoid uh that the fundamental solutions to any situation of organizational blockage they revolve around understanding variation in the system understand how to synchronize uh, uh a process flow uh, or many processes flow uh, on a physical constraint. Uh, they have to do with creating a, a cycle of continuous improvement, what Deming called PDCA, uh, creating um, a channel, an open channel of communication all through the value network, and how to present what Dr. Goldner called unrefusable, F, um, unrefusable offer, i.e. penetrate the market in ways that conventionally is not possible through something called external constraint. So it's a, they, they very, very, um, these solutions are um, not necessarily all these solutions need to be applied to any organization, uh, but uh, more often than not, two or three of them they are, uh, um, you know, um, um, critical to get a company unstuck and to make them see reality in a different way. Uh, in recent years, I'll be totally transparent with you, uh, especially in the world that we live today, which is uh, more like a, uh, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pool economy rather than a push economy as it was in the eighties. Uh, we almost invariably we start with external constraints. So, in other words, we create for organization the ability very very quickly to break through into the market and and raise sales drastically, and everything then comes after how to organize to scale up the sales. So, uh, Domenico, I'm fascinated by this, but we're fast running out of time as I as I knew we would. Um, so let me suggest that our topic for next time, because we, we will be back. Um, if we could start with an example of a core mm -hmm. conflict 
um, cause that ties into things that I've talked about on this cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then we can move into some of those, uh, particularly the challenging of assumptions right. and, and walk through this a little bit more, because I think if people have a little bit of that context, they go to your material, uh, they can see more and then they can reach out to, uh, to you or us, uh, or to me and, you know, we can have further conversations. But I, th- I think if we, uh, if we visit again next time, starting with the core conflict, we might be able to put something that people can manage together. So um, if you'll come, will you come back? Would that be Absolutely. Okay? With great pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay. Well, how can people get a hold of you? What's the best way to look uh, you up? We have a, we have a, um, um, a huge website that we cultivate, uh, uh, you know, uh, with great love and passion. And so it's uh, intelligent. It's um, the, the set website is intelligent management, one word, uh, dot WS. Uh, don't ask me uh, why WS, uh, which is Western Samoa is because uh, 15 years ago when we, we, you know, dot com wasn't available for intelligent management. So we went for something very trendy. Oh, that's, yeah. I thought it meant website. No, no, it's called <laughs> WS. W- WS. And, uh, okay. And, uh, if uh, people are more interested in a, a solution based on, um, uh, projects, we have another, uh, website called essential, uh, um, uh, com where essential the is uh, with um, the second E is a three. Is a three. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was wondering how you're going to do yeah. that. And, uh, uh, and actually that is, um, that is, uh, um, there is a um, long, but very readable uh, uh, write up of uh, how we got to the solution with, uh, um, with a, with the wealth of material that people can enjoy reading. Well, uh, I, I can, I can, um, concur that there's a, a lot of material on your website. I've, I've been through some of it. Um, I'll just close by saying that the essential dynamics podcast is brought to you by unconstrained, my consultancy, and you can learn more at getunconstrained.com. Uh, I'd encourage everyone to uh, share the podcast to, to like it and subscribe. And uh, we'll be back again next in a couple of weeks, I think. Uh, so, Domenico Lapore, thank you very much for coming on the on the podcast. Bryn Griffiths, thanks for your work behind the scenes. I'm Derek Hudson. Until next time, consider your quest. Mm-hmm.